Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I didn't go there, but I can't stand that. That's like me in Wisconsin, dude. Yeah, I against my own school. I hate the Badgers. Words to live by. Words to live by. We are live Saturday morning, college football week 10 from awesomeo.com. DFS picks, betting, whatever it is, we have you covered. Myself, Ben Brazza, here with my partner in crime, Matt Gajeski. We are ready to go. We had 14 games. Two are eliminated, so we're already ahead of the curve. 12-game slate, Pac-12 football. You must be pretty excited. Yeah, dude, I love Pac-12 football. My USC Trojans are playing, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, they play at 9 a.m. Which is amazing. I I actually do like that being on the East Coast, but I wonder, do you think they like that? I don't know. I think I was born to live in the West Coast, and if the game started at 9 a.m. here, I would be so pumped. That is awful. Awful. I've been to Vegas more than a few times in my life, and the only complaint I have is that I, I can't – you have to get up so early, uh, and then it's like 6 o'clock and everything is done, and it, it, it's – Yeah, it's and then weird. I'm ready for bed, man. It's perfect. Yeah, well, okay. There you go. You know what? I, that's I, I respect that hustle. I respect that grind. Uh, chat, what's going on, everybody? It's good to see a lot of regulars, and we are going to get into it right now. Let's just do it. We got 12 games. We've got some new teams, as we've mentioned, and the first one up, it is a Pac-12 game. It's Arizona State fighting Herm Edwards, going to USC 11-point dog, USC's 11-point favorite, 55-and-a-half total. There's some things to like here. So both teams have some stability, particularly at quarterback, Jaden Daniels returns uh, dual threat ability. He loses, obviously, Brandon Ayuk not there, but he still has some guys. What do you expect from a team? 23-team total for Arizona State. Do you think they'll be competitive in spots like this? Yeah, I think they will be. They return a lot of players on their team overall. They have a new offensive coordinator, Zach Hill. He comes from Boise State, where they run pretty efficient offenses. So I think Jaden Daniels could benefit from that. He was really good as a freshman and he came on strong towards the end of the year average 8.7 yards per attempt only through 28 times per game but still was up around 245 yards per game also you mentioned the dual threat ability 355 yards on the ground he's going to give you something there oh no doubt um I actually was pretty impressed with him last year and you mentioned he kind of naturally when, when you're a true freshman like that he started to find his niche late in the season got going I want to talk about his weapons for a little bit. Again, I mentioned Ayuk is gone. Frank Darby was another guy who had, he had flashes last year for sure. He's 5,700 right now. Do you think he takes a step forward? Obviously he should be the leader, but how, how big of a target share could we possibly see from him? He could be the alpha. It's tough. And these are situations that you and I really like to target. So I think Frank Darby's the presumed number one, just because he's the team's leading receiver, at least among the returners. He had 31 catches, 616 yards there but I in these uncertain situations this is kind of where I like to take a stab on some unknown players and we've seen this year over year like a couple years ago LaVisca Chenault was the unknown player you could take a stab on 
They have some freshmen on their team. Johnny Wilson's a four-star, the number 21 in the country. He's the minimum. It looks like he's going to be a starter based on the listed depth chart. Ricky Pearsall is a slot receiver who hasn't done a ton in his career there, just seven catches last year. But if one of those guys could take a step above Darby, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if it did happen, you're essentially getting them for nothing right now. That's, that's the appeal of, you know, rarely do we have slates where some teams have played a handful of games and other teams have played zero. These prices are obviously potentially wildly inefficient because we don't know. Um, and that's, if you have a line on something, you can take advantage of it. In the backfield, I feel pretty confidently saying that there's not much there. Looks like a timeshare. We mentioned Daniels is mobile. Do you see anything in the ASU backfield? They're they're going to play two newcomers. It's Diamante Treyum. I'm not sure how to say his name. He's a four-star freshman, the number 23 back in the country. But they have a JUCO guy they're excited about, too, and Rashad White. So I don't know how it shakes out. They were listed as co-starters on the depth chart. So I think it will be a timeshare to some degree. Not sure who would be the 1A, 1B. Yeah, I think that's something we'll have to wait and see a little bit. But I, I don't think you get burned by fading that too often here. For me, Darby's kind of interesting you mentioned, you know, Chad all, all the time is asking for, is there anyone at the min? I, there's usually not. I'm not saying Wilson is an easy play, but if you really build aggressively and we'll talk about, we have someone crossing, uh, we got the 10K player on this slate. There's going to be need to pay down. On the other side, Slovis is, it, it felt like there, USC had like 30 quarterbacks at one time. A lot of them are gone. Slovis is the guy pending he can stay healthy. I like him as a player. I've been impressed. It just, I'm so stuck in the mindset of being, you need someone who can move. Uh, he's such a good passer. Do you think you can overcome what should be basically nothing on the ground? Yeah. When, as long as we have players, I think that are live for the 300 yard bonus, I'm okay if they're not the most mobile and Slovis offers this. He's basically live for the 300 yard bonus every single week and USC they're not exactly, you know, Clay Helton's their coach. Their offensive coordinator is Graham Harrell. They're pretty fast and they pass a ton. They were seventh in pass rate last year. So just those peripheral stats are going to get Slovis. You know, volume alone will get him near 300 yards in good matchups. And I think he has that here. Last year, he averaged 292 yards per game and he missed some time in there. I know he got hurt against Iowa and a couple other spots. But that was all on 33 attempts. So Slovis, very efficient, completed 72% of his passes. PFF had him graded as like the number three quarterback in the country last year. So I have a lot of hope for Slovis. You're obviously stacking him because he doesn't offer dual threat ability, but I think he's in play. Both Slovis and Daniels are too cheap to me. You mentioned that you're, you're clearly stacking him and, and you've got options. Uh, he's got what? Well, so I want to, I, I want to talk about Brew McCoy because this is a guy I, I've been, I feel like I've been waiting years for obviously a ton of pedigree, but he, he has Umon Ross St. Brown. He's got Vaughn's on the outside. Is it both? Is it one above the other? Uh, I thought the prices would be flipped. I'm not going to lie. I thought Vaughn's would be a little more expensive, but he's not. I feel pretty comfortable, though, with them in the mid-range. What, what do you think about the pass catchers? I think they're two of the best value wide receivers on the slate. Tyler Vaughn's dealt with some injuries last year. I think that's why he finished behind Amon Ross St. Brown in overall receiving. He had 95 total targets, 912 yards. Amon Ra had 103 targets, over 1,000 yards. You can really see how much this USC team is throwing. I think I slightly prefer Amon Ra St. Brown, but it's close. The one difference I think we'll see here, Amon Ra ran a lot out of the slot last year, and it looks like USC is going to move him outside a little bit more just with Michael Pittman gone. But I think you can target them both. They're both fantastic values. I'd even look to Drake London, who played occasionally last year in spot duty when Vaughn's was hurt. 
he doubles as a varsity basketball player for UFC, USC. So he's a really athletic kid. He's going to use that big bodied role. And I think he probably plays over Brew McCoy, but there's a lot of sets where USC is running four wide receivers on the field. So at 3,700, if you want to take a flyer on McCoy, that makes some sense too. So this is a game that you'd be comfortable maybe, you know, double stacking and running it back one way or the other. Uh, obviously, Daniel's more mobile, particularly on the USC side. You need some pass catchers. Yeah, I'll be stacking this game for sure in some of my lineups. I, there was a slate last year. I can't remember what tournament it was, but it was one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in a DFS tournament. Someone triple stacked Slovis. It was Slovis, Pittman, Vaughns, and I think Drake London. And that won whatever the big tournament on DraftKings was last year. So we've seen this UFC team put up a ton of points. I certainly would stack it with at least one. I think two is fine. Three is probably a stretch, but it's at least interesting that the three stack got there one time. Yeah, the three, that's that's a little much. Um, Drake London was like the min or something. Yeah, that, that's always. So uh, more importantly than how many guys, it, it's a total salary against the cap. Like you can get away with it if they're cheap but I don't know. I, I'd probably keep it more realistic. Last thing, and I think we can move on pretty quickly here. A lot of guys in this backfield, I I, I don't see anything uh, similar to ASU. I think they're going to rotate four dudes, so I'm not interested. Yeah, no, um, I'm with you. All right, let's keep it going. We got West Virginia. God, this team, always. West Virginia and Texas, don't even get me started. West Virginia and Texas, we go to the Big 12. Should be, I don't know. I could see this being a competitive game for sure. Uh, there's a lot to like on both sides. Certainly, we'll get to Ellinger in a second. But I want to start with the road team in West Virginia. Uh, again, we, we've seen these teams plenty. They have a 24-and-a-half team total. What do you make of, of Doge? Letty Brown is someone we brought up time and time again. Uh, floor is yours on West Virginia. I think Letty Brown is one of the better price-adjusted running backs on the slate. Of course, we have someone who's getting 30 carries a game, but Letty Brown's not that far behind him. He's handling 25 opportunities per game opportunities, carries plus targets. He's had at least 23 in four straight games. He's actually fourth on West Virginia in targets, so he's very active as a pass catcher. Texas is projected to, to win this game by about a touchdown. So if West Virginia is playing from behind, Letty Brown is still going to be heavily involved as a pass catcher. He's averaging 116 rushing yards per game. I think Letty Brown in most matchups – He's just not getting the consideration he deserves as one of the premier bell cows in the country. Like, I think he is better volume than Chuba Hubbard. And and as you mentioned, you know, Texas at home, five and a half point favorite right now. That's nothing. Obviously, they're our favorite, but it's not like West Virginia couldn't be leaning on this run game and it, it shouldn't blow out by any stretch. Uh, the pass catchers, I, I don't know. I, to me, we just talked about a, a bunch of guys. They're a little more expensive in Darby and, and Ra, you know, St. Brown and, and Vaughn. But to me, it's worth finding the money from guys like Winston Wright and, and Ford Wheaton and things like that. Yeah, they've been shaking up their wide receiver core a little bit too. Sam James is kind of in the doghouse. He dropped four balls in one of their recent games. I can't remember which <laughs> nice. one. He dropped four passes and he hasn't run a route on more than 33% of the dropbacks in two straight weeks after he did that. It's allowed Bryce Ford Wheaton to kind of emerge as their number one. He's running the most routes, seeing a fair amount of targets. He had seven last week. I think he's probably the safest play. Winston Wright's only running around on about 45% of dropbacks. The one player who might be interesting at the min who's replaced Sam James is Sean Ryan. The only concern I have is does Sam James get a, get a second chance? So, uh, okay. I want to ask you this right off the bat then. You've got Sean Ryan, but we've already talked about Johnny Wilson. If you had to play a guy at the min so far, which one of those do you lean one way or the other? 
I'll take, I think they're both uncertain, but Johnny Wilson probably has more upside. Sean Ryan could just get benched and go back to his normal role. Okay. I think so too, just because we haven't seen Arizona state to me, that's always more intriguing because you just don't know. Uh, on the other side, we've got Ellinger 9,300. Um, you know, he, it's tough because obviously he's amazing on the ground. He can rack up the touchdowns. He's just not really throwing volume though is bad. And they've got so many guys in the backfield. The wide receiver core is starting a narrow, but I'm still not super comfortable with it. What do you make of this Texas team and the offense particularly? They're trying to be a run-heavy team, and I'm not sure why they've gone this way. Ellinger's passes have decreased. His yardage has decreased. The overall offensive output has decreased. I don't know what it is. He hasn't eclipsed 287 yards in any of his last five games, which is pretty bad, considering he's throwing the ball a lot. So it's been inefficient. The receivers have been rotating. You mentioned they're narrowing a little bit, and that is true. But I don't even know who is the number one between Joshua Moore and Jake Smith because Jake Smith has been hurt so much. It's conceivable that Jake Smith is the number one receiver for this team. He's 5K, and I think if you're playing one of them, it's him. So, yeah, that's what I was kind of going to ask. If you think that's the case, then it kind of is a buy low spot just because his price has been depressed due to injury, not potential usage or role. Yeah, he's played in three games, and one of them he was limited coming back from the injury. His two full-time games, he had target counts of 9 and 10, and he plays basically entirely out of the slot. Yeah, I mean, 12 games, again, I... I'm not super into it. I'll be honest. I I get it a little, but to me, it just has the makings of a game. That's it. Doesn't really scream upset. Letty Brown, probably my favorite play in that game overall. For sure. I'd I'd say if you're looking for value, which you're probably not in the Texas backfield, but Keontae Ingram's out. So it'll be a two man rotation instead of three with Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. It's just, yeah. I mean, the problem, I always have the same problem. It's like you got them and then Ellinger just runs it in himself and it just vultures so much from that backfield. But we'll keep moving. Either of these games so far, Chad, obviously we are going to talk about betting. I don't have anything for either of them. I think those spreads are fair. I've got some hot, hot takes, it's a little too dangerous, but we've got some betting takes in this show. I'm not sure I'm going to be betting teams like Nebraska or anything like that, but uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do as the show goes on here. We're going to ACC, UNC, Duke, uh, not as big of rivalry as they are on the, on the hardwood, but 11 and a half point road favorites for North Carolina. 62 total is pretty good. Um, listen, we've seen this team. They're certainly got some upside. The loss, it's been bad here and there. Florida State, Virginia, these are <laughs> the type of things, but they do score. Uh, talk about Sam, you know, Sam Howell's obviously a playmaker, 8,100. Where do you go from him? And then we've got, of course, the receivers in Diamond Brown and Newsom. Sam Howell has been really efficient, and it's basically the same way he played last year when he was a freshman. He's throwing just 29 times per game, but averaging over 300 yards. So we're getting an extremely efficient signal caller. He already has a pair of 300-yard games, including 443 yards in his most recent game. Gives you a little bit on the ground. He takes a lot of sacks. So some of that rushing upside is mitigated. He only has 17 cumulative rushing yards this year. He's only basically been stackable with Diami Brown. And I'm not sure why, because both Diami Brown and Daz Newsom had a thousand receiving yards last year, but Diami Brown has a 31% target share and Daz Newsom's down at 15%, which is really interesting because I looked at the routes and Daz Newsom is running just as many routes as Diami Brown. They play very different roles. Diami Brown is an outside like X receiver. He runs downfield. Diami Brown, excuse me, Daz Newsom is a slot receiver. He runs all those underneath routes, but he's still not being targeted. 
North Carolina to me, it's just been fascinating to see the evolution of their prices. Uh, you know, we started the year, it was not like this. When we started the year, the backfield, uh, both these guys somehow have risen in price, and it's hard to argue. Javante Williams has 13 touchdowns. Uh, he's just been getting there week after week. It's always a tricky thing, and this is where I think North Carolina is tough to break down. Can you include those guys with Howell? Because uh, they're such a prolific offense. Can you do that even if it's not the best correlation? Probably not because of cost. We even saw a winning lineup this year play both Javante Williams and Michael Carter. They were both at cheaper price points when that happened. I like Javante Williams at 8.5K and Sam Howell at 8.1 is going to put a lot of restrictions on your lineup. There are minimum price plays if you want to get risky and do this. I think there's better ways to approach this slate. It's interesting to me that both Javante Williams and Michael Carter have a, essentially the same opportunity. Williams is averaging 107 rushing yards per game. Carter's averaging 108. Carter actually has 12 fewer rush attempts. Carter's actually out-targeted Williams 17 to 13. They're both, I think, pretty good plays. They're seeing it's a dead even 50-50 split, but Carter's over 2K cheaper. Yeah, obviously on a slate like this, that savings is immense. Oh, man, they're a tricky team. Obviously, I, I am interested with the stack just because they can rack up the points. And they've just been, I mean, we've seen them let in inferior opponents. It's not like Duke can't have some success. So let's move to that side of the ball. They've got a 25 and a half point team total. I really haven't been super impressed with Chase Bryce, you know, the tra transfer from Clemson. I didn't know what we were going to get out of him. He's got some talent on the outside, guys like Bobo, guys like Calhoun. They're affordable. I think that's the best thing I can say about them. Do you look to these guys as runbacks, one-offs, or do you just say, you know what, you're not going to bother with Duke? You might be able to. I, Chase Bryce is a sack-taking machine. He has <laughs> rushing upside similar to like a Brock Purdy or an Ian Book maybe get you 40 yards on the ground, but he takes so many sacks that it is essentially all mitigated. I think coming out of the bye, Duke narrowed their wide receiver rotation a little bit. Maybe that gives you some interest as a run back in a UNC stack. Bobo, he's tied for team leading 36 targets, which is pretty bad considering how many games Duke has played. But his route rate finally increased and he ran around an 89% of dropbacks. He's basically been around 60% to start the year. The same happened for Calhoun. He ran around on 74% of dropbacks, only had four targets. But it wasn't exactly the best script for Duke to be throwing the ball a lot either. So I think if they stay condensed, you could look to them as runbacks. Yeah, this is a much better game environment. They should, in theory, they should be trailing. And if they're not, I don't think it's because the game is, is low scoring. They may get out ahead, but if they get out ahead, it's because they're racking up a bunch of points. So you can get there either way. And it's affordable. That's a pretty good game. I certainly like the first game we talked about better with Arizona State and USC so far. All right, we keep, man, we're, we're going all across the country here, conference by conference, Big Ten, Michigan, just <laughs> in Indiana, obviously, they, it turns out that Minnesota is just not good. That's what happened. Not that Michigan is any good. They lost to Michigan State last week. They really cannot afford this one. They're a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. 54-and-a-half-point total is not great. I I don't really have much to say on Michigan, Milton. I think he's fine at 74. Certainly the backfield is crowded. Uh, what, what do you make of Michigan coming off a bad, bad loss? I think it's hard to really figure out what this Michigan team is. They rolled Minnesota and then they kind of got rolled themselves by Michigan state. So we've seen two entirely different game scripts. I looked to last year a little bit because Josh Gaddis is still their OC. They weren't the most exciting offense in college football. Obviously they're about middle of the pack in plays per game and pass rate. 
Joe Milton so far this year has been fairly efficient. I've been kind of disappointed watching him throw the ball, but he does give you dual threat ability at the very least, but there's other dual threats that are cheaper and better game environments. So I probably won't get a lot of him. The receiving core, it's just not very exciting. Ronnie Bell's their wide receiver one. He racked up eight targets in a pass heavy game script, but how many times do they get into those kind of shootouts? I don't think very often. I think if you're playing a pass catcher, it's probably the redshirt freshman tight end, Eric All, who is just extremely cheap, and that's about the best thing I could say about him. Yeah, I I just wonder on a 12-game slate, even because, listen, he's, he's leading that team in targets, and I, I think he'll get the usage. It's just where is his ceiling really at in a game like this? It, it really feels a little tapped and... I'm, I'm kind of looking elsewhere. I, I don't have much to say about Michigan. And I assume, I mean, you, you kind of alluded to the backfield is just don't touch it at this point, right? There's too many bodies. I think so. I was kind of surprised. Hassan Haskins is leading the way, but literally Haskins, Zach Charbonnet, Blake Corum, Chris Evans are all seeing varying degrees of work. Yeah, that's, that's not the answer. All right. On the other side, Indiana, pretty good. I, uh, I've been impressed. Penix, 6,600, not bad. Um, I want to see him really get going, though. I, I don't understand what's going on with the rushing upside. Then we know about Stevie Scott in the backfield. It's not the best matchup for any of these guys. They've got guy, weapons on the outside with the tight end and then Wap Filer. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of them? you think they can move the ball, or is it just, again, another game where eh, average at best? I think average is probably a good way to describe it. Indiana plays a fairly exciting offense, though. They they have a new OC, but, you know, he's he's fine, I think. Last year, Indiana was passing the ball a lot. They project to do so again here. They run a lot of plays. Penix is a dual threat. I know he's coming in with just two cumulative rushing yards. He took a lot of sacks in that week one game, but he's recruited as a dual threat. He does have that ability. He just hasn't really impressed as a passer. I'm not sure he's going to really be live for a 300-yard bonus on most occasions. The target share is very condensed. If you want to target Filer, Freifogel, or Hendershot, those are really the only three guys that are going to see targets, maybe outside of a, a dump off to Stevie Scott here and there. Freak, oh God. Why couldn't Michigan just win that game? They'd be really rolling. They'd be setting up a battle long-term with Ohio State. What a bad loss as my phone. Okay, the Badgers are going to take it on. Yeah. Are they ever going to play again? Um, Probably not. Poor guys. Uh, that's different show for a different time. Anything else from this game or can we keep it moving? I think we can. Well, let's talk about Stevie Scott for just a moment here. Okay. He is amazing volume. And at 6,500, I think he's worth a look. He'll be contrarian. They're not projected to win this game. So, I mean, I'm going to chase some volume over efficiency. So I will have some Stevie Scott, not a ton, but he's at a cheap price point and he's a bell cow back. Yeah, to me, I mean, listen, of course, there you can make a case for some of the big weapons like Scott. It's just a one-off though. I don't think this is a good game to stack. There's clearly behind most of the others, and I don't, I don't see many ways this gets into a shootout. I just don't. Um, let's stick in the Big Ten, though. Uh, and before I do that, chat, it's good to see. We got all the regulars in here, uh, which is good, so you can all hit the like button. We appreciate that. I do want to say real quick, obviously, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, no better time to do it. You hit that. You hit the notification bell. You can get all our content. We're going to be busy. It's the Masters next week in golf, so I'm going to talk about that. We've got big things coming up. Obviously, NFL, MMA, all sorts of sports. And then basketball will be here as soon as we know it. College basketball, me and Matt have some things. We're, next week, we're going to be talking a little college basketball, behind-the-scenes brainstorming, because we're going to bring some coverage. Uh, it's my favorite sport to bet, so I'm very excited about that tipping off soon enough. But, again, let's stick with the Big Ten, Michigan State, 
and Iowa. Interesting game. Uh, you mentioned before the show, you might have a lean on the betting side. Spartans plus five and a half right now, over under a 47. That doesn't scream great value for DFS, though. I, I bet Michigan State already. I'm not sure how I feel about it today, but Michigan State, they have a completely new coaching staff. Mel Tucker comes in as the, the head coach, brings Jay Johnson with him from Colorado. They're a pretty exciting offense overall, I think, just based on what we saw out of them last year. They're a little above average in pass rate, a little above average in plays per game. And we've seen that so far to start the year. The Spartans are running really fast and passing the ball a ton. And Rocky Lombardi's really surprised me. I did not think much of him after watching him in occasional spark, spot duty when Brian Lewerke got hurt in the past. But he's thrown over 300 yards in both of his games this year. They're throwing so much that there's always going to be the chance that he hits that. And he has very clear and cheap stacking options. So I think we could look to maybe some Michigan State stacks. The, the total's not fantastic on this game. It's one of the lower ones on the slate. But we've seen Iowa struggle, so maybe it's worth a look. So I want to dig in a little deeper to that. Uh, and again, I wasn't overly familiar with Michigan State, certainly coming off a bad loss against Rutgers. I didn't think much of them. Uh, Naylor was someone, though, I, I thought would be a, a pretty big contributor, and certainly the transfer from, from Western Michigan and Jaden Reed. Ricky White, who I, I was completely unfamiliar with, was outstanding last week against Michigan. Uh, he almost had 200 yards. Is that an anomaly, or is he actually going to long-term be the top-end target for them on the outside? He kind of came out of nowhere. He's a three-star recruit. He's a freshman this year. He's 6'1", 175 pounds. He was the number 70 receiver in this incoming class. And I think we could look to him playing a larger role moving forward because he ran more routes than Naylor and Jaden Reed. He was on the field more than any other wide receiver and he was clearly the favorite of Rocky Lombardi last week. I think this could be a little variant on a week-to-week basis. I'm a guy that really likes Jaden Reed a lot based on his freshman season at Western Michigan, where he had nearly 800 yards himself. Jaden Reed is more of a, a downfield burner type receiver. I think Jalen Naylor, who's their target leader right now, is going to be more of an underneath pass catcher, move the chains type of guy. I found it interesting that Naylor has the largest target share of the bunch, 30%, but he's the cheapest receiver. So is that, is that all in all, you know, factoring in costs, is that maybe where you'd like to go most? I'm honestly okay with all of them. I think mm-hmm. they're, uh, they all have a different skill set, and this is the three receivers that are going to see targets for this game. I think Ricky White and Naylor are probably the two you look to just because they offer you a bit of savings over Jaden Reed. White, of course, he's moving into an increased role, and Naylor, his role has been pretty steady. On the other side, you know, you, you talked about Iowa. I, I haven't been – relatively impressed and and listen they've had some turnover i i'm not too familiar with their quarterback seen him a little in in pitras obviously goodson in the backfield you know talented again it's just not a great game environment i think most of that's driven by iowa what do you make of the hawkeyes is there anything there that we think we need to uh, take notice of they've been getting killed in games and they're running way faster and passing way more than they usually do and i think that's just because they've been losing last year they only ran 68 and a half plays per game 49 percent pass rate of course, their coaching staff is exactly the same, and it's going to be the same until the end of time unless they fire Kirk Ferentz because he just hires his family. So they're going to be the same offense we always know and love. Spencer Patras has been terrible. He's averaging 45 pass attempts per game and 241 yards, has essentially no dual threat ability. And unless they play Rutgers, he's probably not going to ever hit the 300-yard bonus. So I'm out on Petras. I think maybe we could look to a cheap pass catcher because Amir Smith-Marset is out for this game after he got a DUI last week. So they just have a ton of cheap pass catchers. 
Otherwise, Tyler Goodson's really the only guy with significant volume and talent. Yeah, to me, again, broken record, 12-game slate. I don't think much of Iowa. I have not bet Michigan State, but I'll, I'll put it on the list. I'm going to look into that after the show. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll come on board with some of your uh, – we were both on BYU. I will say BYU last night late. They hammered. That was great to see. They're really good. Their uh, lines are egregious every week. Remember when they played Navy? Yes. That was the opening week. That and line was egregious. Yeah. It was like 40, nothing immediately. They look good against Houston. The only team they struggled. They were like a 30 point favorite against one of the Texas made up Texas teams and they looked sluggish, but uh, when you, when Zach Wilson, he throws, it's like 17 yards per attempt uh good for him don't bet those player props as we know anyway here we go keep it moving this is a big time game in the sec florida georgia of course it's at the neutral field in jacksonville three point spread georgia is favorite again 54 point total i've been saying that a lot so far today so (laughs) florida with dan mullen at the home they had COVID issues they're back in business we know what they want to do obviously they've got kyle trask who's been outstanding They've got Pitts, and they've got Tony. It's just Georgia's defense is no joke. Can you pay what I think is a premium for a guy like Tony at 78? Can we look to Pitts at 62? Uh, Or is this just a really bad defense to go against? I thought Pitts would be more expensive than Tony. So did I. I really don't understand that. I don't understand it either. The volume's not very different, and Pitts actually has the better volume on the year. He's a 24% target share to Tony's 21 And Tony's really getting it done off broken tackles. He's not really getting used downfield a ton, but he's literally a a joystick out there. The guy breaks more tackles than anyone in college football. So it's probably pits for me if I'm playing anyone. You can't play a runner. They just don't run the ball ever. Damian Pierce, their leading rusher, he's not eclipsed nine carries in four straight games. I'm probably not stacking pits against the Georgia defense. Excuse me, stacking Trask against the Georgia defense. So I think maybe it's just one-off plays with pits. That's, I mean, I... It's more for me, just elimination. All right, the backfield's gone. I'm not going to pay 8100 for Trask when I can take a discount to Slovis. For me, it's not close. Tony, I'm not going to pay 7800 You mentioned he's, to me, drawing, and I'm not saying he can't do this, but he's drawing to a 60-yard you know, gadget pass. The only guy I think you could look to is Pitts. He's going to get red zone targets. He's a tough matchup for any defense. I'm not running to the window to play him, though, I'll be honest. I'd be comfortable just passing on Florida just and it's just because of Georgia um they're a good team on their side I'm not exactly running to the window to play anyone there I want to ask you mostly about Zamir White 72 I think they've finally I don't know if they realize it's the right word but he is the alpha back in my opinion do you think they lean on him uh or does Stenson Bennett get more involved I think they lean on him Stenson Bennett is just a game manager And he hasn't really shown the ability to be much more than that. He doesn't have dual threat ability, averaging just north of 200 yards per game. And you're right, Zamir White has slowly worked his way into more and more work there. I think he will continue to be the lead runner. There still will be the occasional Kendall Milton, James Cook, Kenny McIntosh, if he's healthy. They'll get work, not a lot, but together, the three of them, maybe it'll be enough to siphon off, you know, put Zamir White around 15 carries rather than like the 20 we would hope he gets. I think also it's it's a product of game flow too. If if Florida is trailing and Georgia can lean on the running game, I'm not saying that those guys won't siphon off some carries, but I think as a backfield, they could have a monster usage and Zamir White will get the majority of that. On the outside, 
I don't know what to really do. Like, first of all, what's the status of George Pickens? Do you know? I think he's going to miss the game. We don't have legit injury updates from Georgia. Obviously. But so I, if I had to guess, I would say he's going to miss. Does that make, I mean, certainly him missing Kyrus Jackson will, should be the guy in line for, for a lot of work. Again, is it is it just a product, though, of in the mid-range? We've talked about a lot of receivers already in better game environments. Do we just look to them? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you're thinking about Kyrus Jackson, you should probably just play Tyler Vaughn's. Exactly. See, that's the opportunity cost. That's such an important thing. It, it, of course, you need to evaluate each play, but it's also in relation to the individual slate. And on this slate, there is a lot of mid-range receivers that I feel pretty good as chat just pointed out, Pickens didn't travel with the team. It looks like so he's not playing. Okay. Yeah. That'd be, if he plays now, that would be extreme. Um, but yeah, so without him, I still don't think that I'm really there on this team, to be honest, maybe Zamir white, but he, even that not there, James cook. No, not for me. Um, yeah. Anything else here? Good game. I, I lean Florida slightly. I have not bet it. And I'm not sure I'm going to. If it goes to three and a half, I, I may take a, a small position on it, but not one of my favorite games to bet either, to be honest. I think Florida would be the team I take, but I'm with you. It's not a game I love. I think there's better spots. Like this barn burner. Here we go. Big 12. We've got Kansas, the fighting Jayhawks, as bad as it gets, against Oklahoma. Naturally, this is a monster, monster spread. Uh, Oklahoma is, what are they? I think it's, yeah, five and a half touchdowns, 38 point favorite at home over under 63 and a half. Uh, I, I guess we can start with Kansas first. We'll get them out of the way. The other, not Jaden Daniels, Jalen Daniels, the 17 year old, obviously he's struggling. <laughs> what, what are we doing with Kansas? Anything? They're going to no. get killed. No, you're not playing Kansas. Daniels hasn't had more than 207 yards in a game. Yeah. So they can't get the 300 yard bonus as a team. So that makes it, that's just bad. Cumulative bonuses. Uh, All right. You know what? They only have a 13 point team total. Let's save some time so we can do more egregious things later in the show. This other team, Oklahoma, 51 and a half team total. They are in play, obviously. So this is the age old question. We've talked about it a lot with Clemson. We know they're going to get theirs. It's just how much will Spencer Rattler get? He's 9,100. He doesn't, I mean, he's not a zero in the rushing game, but this is not obviously what we've seen out of Oklahoma quarterbacks in the past. What do you make of him basically trying to get it done solely through the air in a game like this? He can easily get it done. This, whoever plays quarterback for Oklahoma just automatically becomes one of the most efficient signal callers in football. He's averaging over 300 yards on just 30 attempts per game, which is incredibly efficient. He has some dual threat ability, 98 yards on the ground. Kansas' defense is atrocious. They're primarily getting beat up by opposing runners, but I think it's just because nobody really needs to throw against them. Rattler's fine if you want to spend the salary. So certainly, barring something truly unforeseen, Oklahoma will be running the ball late. Problem is, it's a very tough backfield. It's not one I I don't think we can just gloss over and say it's a timeshare because they're going to get theirs. How do you see the carry distribution potentially going in if the game takes a normal trajectory? Oklahoma, you know, racks up 50 or so points and, and they basically go around covering this number. We've got Stevenson, McGowan, Pledger. How do we how do we try to decipher this? So Stevenson came back from his suspension last week. He immediately out carried everyone in the backfield. I think he's probably the favorite for raw carries at first, but literally all three of these guys are going to get work. Interestingly, 
McGowan, he handled a lot of pass catching duties, six targets for McGowan. He is very cheap on this slate. And even if he gets just a handful of carries too, he's someone that could hit value because he's so cheap. Kansas is allowing 217 rushing yards a game. I think Stevenson's the preferred play. He is the most expensive. So I'm probably not going to get a lot of him based on price. I'd rather take a shot on one of the cheaper guys like McGowan. And hope that, yeah, in terms of touches, he could be comparable and obviously raise the floor with PPR points. Um, Boy, on the outside. So again, what is the status of Rambo? Do we? Know? I haven't seen much updates on Charleston Rambo. Have you okay. seen anything on him? I have not. Uh, I don't know if he... So I don't know if he had, the only thing I saw is he either has COVID or it's COVID related, I believe. Um, Last I saw was questionable. Questionable. Okay. Yeah. I just, I don't think, and Chad, if you have news, obviously drop it. I don't think it's injury related. So if he does play, he, I would be, I don't see how we could be limited. It's an all or nothing type of situation from what I have seen. Um, If I did not see the, I did not see the COVID news. Really? Okay. I, Saw that somewhere. I'm trying to look for it. Um, yeah, I believe it was a COVID situation, but I... Again, Someone I by the Twitter handle of Football Junkie or tweeted that it was out due to COVID, but this is not a verified person. Well, it's, that's my burner. Don't don't out me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, I will say this. Okay. The, yeah, not the end of but I, on, on DraftKings, it says Rambo won't play... He's talking about the previous game, Texas Tech. Rambo won't play Saturday against Texas Tech due to COVID-19 protocols. Okay, DraftKings um, is reliable. Um, so, I, again, I don't know if he has COVID or it's just like contact tracing or whatnot. We have to keep an eye on that. I'm going to assume for, for you know time purposes that he's out. If he is out, Marvin Mims figures to get a big boost, but he's 6,800. Do we pay that salary? Do we go to Weiss? Do we go to down the list of guys who could be worked into the offense? I Mims was a hard guy to get to early in the year because he was only running around on like 30% of dropbacks. But when Rambo was out last week, Mims finally worked his way into a larger route share, which just makes me more confident that he'll be on the field. He's tied for a team lead in 32 targets, but he's still not running the most routes on the team. So paying 6,800 for him is tough for me. You have a guy in Theo Weiss who has one fewer target on the year. He's on the field a lot more. I think he's the more viable play. They're going to run a timeshare receiver. So it's like Clemson. You're playing this wide receiver roulette. I want to take a shot on a guy who's on the field more often than not. And that's Weiss over Mims. Not by a lot, but it's a 2K price difference. So I'll take the savings there. You could also look at Stogner, their tight end. I guess he's on the field a decent amount. Also tied for the team lead in 32 targets. But his route rate is worse than Mims and Weiss. It's just tough. Listen, I, I have I wouldn't fault anyone for going to Oklahoma. You're going to have opportunities to grab one of seven, eight touchdowns in this game. You just have to hit them. Um, you got to get them before your guys get pulled. And that's just really what we have to do with these large spreads. Total side note, and I know it's just a theory question. If Hazelwood wasn't completely broken due to injury, where do you think he would fall on this depth chart? Like, do you think he would be the top guy over even guys like Rambo or would he be working in behind a guy like that? I'm guessing they probably would put him in a timeshare because I think Mims is their best receiver and they won't play him a full snap share. Is Hazelwood playing today? He's tweeted that he's back. Oh, so I, didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. This is not verified. Well, I get he said it, but I mean, do you trust some of these things? I don't trust until I see players warming up. If we get word that he's warming up, do you do anything with that? Or again, do you just go to the Arizona state min salary guy? 
I would prefer the Arizona State min salary guy, but I think the upside is higher with a guy like Hazelwood given the game environment. I, man, that's that's interesting. I just worry about in a game where you're going to be up 40, it feels like it would be such a natural progression to work him in slowly. That would be, I think, smart. I don't <laughs> think they've played this year with a lot of intelligence. Marvin Mims should be on the field more than 30% of routes, and he's not. That's fair. That is fair. All right, another – this is a good one. This is one of the, my favorite games to talk about. Texas Tech, TCU. TCU is a 10-point home favorite over under of 60. We'll start with the Red Raiders side of the ball. I, I can't believe – I mean, this Columbia guy is good. I'm just such an Alan Bowman fan, and he is just straight benched, uh, which is kind of disappointing for me. What do you make of Texas Tech's offense now that they've made that move? Is Columbian play at 6K? What do we do with the backfield, pass catchers? Uh, talk to me about Texas Tech. I think Columbia's in play. I think the price is down on him because, you know, his peripheral stats aren't great. But when you look at what the Texas quarterback has done, if we, you know, combined Bowman and Columbia into one player, they're averaging 41 attempts per game. Columbia is actually completing 70% of his passes. They're just running this little dink and dunk offense, 6.9 yards per attempt. It's basically a lot of wide receiver screens underneath stuff. Columbia's dual threat ability, and that's an area where he's better than Bowman, which I think makes him attractive for DFS. When you when you talk about him, like you mentioned, he's got some dual threat ability, but I still think clearly if you play him, you're going to want to roll out some pass catchers. It, we got, I mean, I, I don't know. Who's even helped? We've got Vasher. Missed the last game. They've got a you bunch won't get of an other... update on Vasher. What'd you say? You won't get an update on Vasher until game time. <laughs> Texas so Tech like, has no injury reporting. So, like, do you just roll the dice flying blind? Uh, do you look to? I'm gonna call him Eric E because I'm not gonna attempt to pronounce that last name. Carter, wh- how do you how do you decipher what's obviously a very complicated pass catching unit? Eric Azukama is the wide receiver one, regardless of who's healthy. So I'd be confident in playing him. He is a 19.8% target share. But again, we're talking about an offense that runs a ton of plays. So Eric Ezukama, while his target share might not be one of the best on the slate, he has higher raw target upside than a lot of players we've already talked about. He'll be the wide receiver one. Feel pretty confident in him. Last week, Dalton Rigdon missed another. He hasn't played in a while. So they were down Vasher and Rigdon. That allowed Miles Price to work as their wide receiver too. Price only has 20 targets in his last four games, but since the injuries have occurred, that's actually second behind Ezukanma. He's 3.9K, so he's very cheap. Keyshawn Carter, he was someone that's been hurt in the past, too. He returned last week. It looked like they were easing him back into action, only around on 47% of dropbacks. He's 5.6K, and I just don't think there's any reason to pay for him over Ezukanma. I know these these teams have big rosters, but it feels like Texas Tech has 300 guys on their team. <laughs> they use so many guys, and it's not just with the pass catchers. Their backfield so Roger Thompson, they've got him, but then they've just got like five other guys. Talk to me particularly, uh, your, you know, your article, which is on the awesomeo.com site. It's got so much information in it. That thing is a monster. But one of the guys you brought up is Taj Brooks. And if you're looking for a pay down running back, 3,300, what do you make of a guy? And do you think the volume will be there to justify it? He's like the 1A to Chadarius Thompson's 1B to Sir Roger Thompson's 1C. None of them are going to see a lot of volume because they cannibalize each other, but Taj Brooks will most likely see the most, and he's 3.3K. I think you run into a discussion on this slate. Where are you paying down for value? 
And I think there's a case to be made for someone like Taj Brooks, but I think overall it's going to be more receivers. And I'll try to get to the expense of running backs. I know that have been a locked in workload over a guy like Brooks. On the other side. So seemingly no matter what, I always have some interest in this TCU team. Now I really do though, because this is a, a great matchup for Dugan 6,400. He can run. Uh, he's got some abilities through the air. He's got Tay Barber. But you got to love this matchup at home against Texas Tech. I do love it. I played Dugan almost every single slate Yeah, to my detriment this year. But Dugan's a great dual threat. He gives you more rushing upside. I like to use the Brock Purdy, Ian Book type rushers, like your prototypical dual threat in college that gives you like 40 yards on the ground. Dugan's better than that. Not a ton better. He's probably not going to get you the 100-yard bonus, but he's going to get you like 50 to 60 yards there. This is a pass-first offense, and they've played some slow teams. They've, they've played Kansas State, they've played Baylor, and it's depressing their play volume. They're one of the fastest and pass-heaviest teams. Well, I guess they've been more neutral when Dugan plays because he's a dual threat, but we're still one of the fastest teams in college football, and now they're back to a pace-up spot against a Texas Tech team that's also very pass-heavy and fast. So I think we're going to see elevated play volume. That should help Dugan in both of those phases. The real question is, do you stack Dugan? And that's been a real problem we've had the entire year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, again, you mentioned some mobility, but it's not enough where it's like, oh, you can just run him out on his own. Obviously, if you do stack him, I think it has to be Tay Barber sitting at five and a half. My question to you is, do you see anyone else you can stack with? And then where do you put Tay Barber against, you know, Vaughn and some of these other guys throughout the slate? I like Barber. He's clearly the wide receiver one. With that said, his volume is worse than guys like Vaughn. So if you're just playing a cash game or you're just looking for a one-off play, play Vaughn. If you have Dugan, that's when I would start choosing Tay Barber over him. I'm not going to play a lot of Tay Barber outside of Dugan stacks, but I'll have a fair share of Dugan today, which will lead to some Tay Barber exposure. As far as the other receivers, Blair Conright and Quinton Johnson are the other two on the field. Neither of them see significant target volume, but if you're looking for just a downright cheap stack, they would be the two I look to. What obviously this guy is not relevant because I, I am virtually certain he's not playing, but what happened to JD Spielman? I don't think we know what happened to him. Okay. I just thought he was out the last two games. Yeah, no, he's just permanently out. I just don't know. I just was wondering if what happened. Man, uh, I love college football injury reporting. Yeah, just uh, hey, I this is some coming from someone who bet Akron because of Cato Nelson. I bet he Akron did, too. Yeah, he didn't play. Uh, it, it can get a little dangerous, but. I want to ask you quickly about this backfield. And it's not so much that I think these guys are in play with Barlow. I'm just so, so high on Zach Evans long-term. I think he's fantastic. He's flat for, we're not there yet, right? He, I know he's starting to gain some work on the ground, but I don't think you can actually go to him. I don't think so either. When everyone's healthy, this is like a five-man rotation. Today, DeMarco Foster is not going to play. Kendra Miller is questionable. They're still going to split work between Darwin Barlow, Zach Evans, and Amari DeMarcado, assuming he plays. He's been banged up this year, too. In an ideal situation, I think Zach Evans, who's like their crown jewel recruit, plays most of the game, but they just haven't shown a willingness to give it to him. Yeah, this is sick. Ugh. He's a really, I don't know how they how they got him. I mean, you know what? Good, good for Patterson. Dude, we're going to talk about a couple five-star recruits that went to some bad schools. I don't know why he did that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I was trying to say without just saying it was bad, but yeah, I, that's why we got you on the show. You can, you can rip TCU for me. Um, we can rip Rakeem Jarrett too later. Yeah. That's, we certainly can. Uh, all right. Back to the big 10. 
this is a this is a game. This is my I want to say possibly my favorite bet of the of the week. Minnesota, Illinois. My God, PJ Fleck, the boat is Titanic here. You're rowing into an <laughs> iceberg, my friend. It was bad against Maryland. I don't know what they were doing. Tanner Morgan, I really expected more. And this is a game we're really going to spend some time on. So we've got Tanner Morgan and we've got Rashad Bateman. And we're going to talk about them. But we have to start with Ibrahim. He's $10,000 on DraftKings. Uh, I mean, the touches are out of control, but can you pay $10,000 for him? If you're going to pay $10,000 for someone, it's certainly him. Ben, when's the last time you saw someone get 41 carries in a game? Uh, it, what honestly, the only thing I can think of is like Michigan used to give Mike Hart like 75 carries in games. Um, yeah, that's that's volume that we just don't see. And he had four touchdowns in like the second quarter. It was ridiculous. They have shown no willingness to throw the ball. So they have a different offensive coordinator here. Kirk Soraka, their their former OC is now with Penn State, and they have regressed severely as an offense. I'm not sure it matters because they have a strong offensive line. They returned all their starters. And they've just, they're just trying to run the ball down their opponent's throats, regardless of game script. When they were trailing against, against Michigan, just give it to Ibrahim. Every single play, essentially. Second and 10, give it to Ibrahim. So he's going to see volume. He's averaging 175 yards per game, 36 opportunities per game. That includes targets. It's a 12-game slate, so there is some opportunity cost to him. But there's not a single player on this slate that has more locked in volume. Uh, I, I want, so... It, you bring up a fantastic point. This is, again, this is why it's so useful. The offensive coordinator situation, because for me, when I look at this, just knowing what I knew about Minnesota from last year, my thought is to leverage with Bateman, who I think is fantastic. Uh, no one's going to play him. If you go to Minnesota, you're obviously going to play Ibrahim. And if you play him, you never play Bateman. So it's like uh, almost a double leverage fade against the running back situation. But I mean, is this what we're going to see going forward? I really can't believe how how awful and just unwilling they are to pass the ball. Bateman's fine. He has a 46.5% target share, and that's only led to 20 targets in two games, which is ridiculous. He's averaging 81.5 receiving yards. That's fantastic. He's down in price point this week. So 7K for Bateman, that's not egregious. You can pay for him at that price. He's going to be contrarian and give you immense leverage for the reasons you mentioned. That, that's like I said, that's why I have the interest. I just looking at this on paper when Tyler Johnson obviously has moved on to Tampa, I thought that this guy could be in a situation where he's just getting like tw- literally 15, 20 targets a week, especially if I, I found out that I don't know what is wrong with their defense. Uh, do you have in, insight onto like, are they this bad? I thought they would be better. They have a couple prospects that I liked, but apparently it's not good because they Jake Funk ran all over them. Tagovailoa ripped them. It's not pretty. Yeah. And not, not the guy on the dolphins. Uh, so just, and Maryland, like, listen, if you want to play a transitive property game, Maryland did not with Northwestern. Like, I I don't know how good Minnesota is, but they don't, they seem to have serious problems. So obviously, listen, if you have the money to pay for Ibrahim, I mean, he's fantastic. I think you could roll the dice with it. And you're talking large field tournaments. If you want to fade, if you're not going to play that running back, Bateman is interesting as more leverage because if Minnesota racks up points and he doesn't get there, it's a huge boost to the passing game. Anything else besides the big time players though? I have a trivia question for you. Oh, please. There, I guess in modern college football, there's two walk on true freshmen to ever start game one of their careers. Do you know who they are? One plays on Minnesota. That's your hint. Wait, 
at quarterback or just in life? Quarterback. Tanner Morgan? <laughs> like No, Tanner Morgan got beat out by walk-on freshman Zach Anikstad. Zach Anikstad breaks his foot, and Tanner Morgan comes in and has last year's season. I don't think Tanner Morgan's very good, and apparently Minnesota doesn't think he's very good either. Well, what happened to that guy? Zach Anikstad? Yeah. He's a walk-on freshman. He wasn't very good to begin with. That's the point. He beat out Tanner Morgan, who also is not very good. Who was the other one? Baker Mayfield. I was going to say, I should have just led with that. I, that. That was the only one I was thinking of. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. Um, yeah, Baker. Interesting. I, I've just been so, I was so impressed with Minnesota last year that I think I have some hangover effect. I Maybe you should like Penn State then with their OC. We'll get, I think Penn, yeah. Oh, we're going to get to Penn State. You boys, their best player is the clock operator, whoever that guy is. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what goes on up there, but let's go to the Illinois side of things. I actually like Illinois as a bet today. Seven-point dogs, they hung in there last week against Purdue. They covered that number. I think them at home can really give Minnesota trouble. They've got issues, though, particularly at quarterback. COVID has ripped through. Brandon Peters is out. Isaiah Williams is out to contact tracing. Talk to me about Corin Taylor, who is forty five hundred. Uh, that's the price you gotta like. Yeah, minimum price. Corin Taylor, former fourth stringer on this Illinois team, he threw twenty nine times against Purdue and completed seventeen of them for two hundred seventy three yards and a pair of scores. That's not bad for the minimum. He's also a viable rusher. Thirty two yards on the ground, not bad. It's in that Ian Book Brock Purdy range, which is fine. It's nearly a touchdown on the ground that would be comparable to a passing touchdown. And again, he's the stone minimum. You, yeah, I mean, it just, it opens it up certainly for Ibrahim. So that's the thing I want to ask you. People who play Corin Taylor, how how strongly correlated do you think that will be to paying 10K for the running back? It's definitely correlated. So you can, you can think about this either way. Minnesota gets up in this game. Illinois has to throw. Illinois gets up in this game. Like ideally, Corin Taylor is still that runs. Ibrahim still runs. Can you run him out alone? So $4,500, obviously we have a ton of room. Can you run him out alone? Do we look to Emor, Tabi? You know, he's probably their top receiver. I'm butchering the name, 4,200. Like, how do we how do we structure around a guy this cheap? I don't know how to say his name either. Josh Amater, baby? I don't know. Amater, baby, sounds pretty cool. No idea. He's a, a transfer from USC, but he's, I don't know why he's priced at the point he is. He's their alpha receiver. He's a 33% target share. He's only turned that into 69 total yards this year. But again, Minnesota has shown some of the worst struggles I've ever seen on defense, not just against the run, too. They've been brutal everywhere. Awful. He's going to have like 10 targets. I think Illinois is going to be all right. I really do. I think they can win this game. Um, The backfield, it's a little tough. Uh, Again, another timeshare with Epstein and Brown. I I don't have really much else to say. I'm not a huge fan of, of how... Lovey Smith and, and co run this team, but is there anything outside of a very cheap quarterback that we can talk about for the Illini? Probably not in the running game. I mean, I also thought this about Jake Funk last week, although Jake Funk did work his way into being like the sole running back there. I don't think that happens with Epstein and Chase Brown. So I'm probably just going to play the cheap quarterback and maybe the, the alpha receiver who's at 4.2 K Josh matter, baby, whatever his name is. Yeah. Uh, I like it. And like I said, I think that Illinois can win this game on the betting side. I want to circle back a little, you know, we're going to keep it moving. 
Chad has pointed out in the chat, this is why we pay you guys the big bucks. Uh, we appreciate it. You're seeing it right now. How, and we, we talk about this all the time in the NFL and then it's hard to react to weather. It's apparently pouring out in LA. What do you do with Slovis? Is that how, how much does it affect what is going to be a lot of USC exposure for you? Apparently it's supposed to stop raining. I'm looking at the weather right now. Okay. I don't know. I like, there's some people in the chat that are there. I'm obviously, I'm in Wisconsin. It's not raining here. Yeah, yeah I'm in New York. It looks nice. At like, so it goes down to 20% after kickoff. Maybe we're making too much of this if we're freaking out a lot. I don't know. I don't have the LA, I'm just looking at Google. It's, what, it's the LA weather report on Google. But it seems fine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously if they're playing in, in the pouring rain, that wouldn't be ideal. But we've seen time and time again, that can work to the detriment of the defense just as often. So keep an eye on it. It's one of the many reasons you should follow. Our handles are right there. Follow Matt, follow myself. He will be posting updates. I'll be doing nothing, but it's still just a nice thing to do. Add those Twitter followers. Uh, we'll keep you up to date though. A lot of, a lot of things break after the show and it's really important. I mean, Matt, you can speak to this all the time. You know, you're in our premium chat over on Slack and you talk about, you know, deadline ups all over the place when a guy has his late scratch close to kickoff, you can gain a huge edge if you're paying attention. For sure. It's the, I don't know another sport like it outside of maybe college basketball, these college sports that don't have injury reporting. There's a lot of times we'll get news like three minutes before kickoff. And if you're just following the right people, paying attention to the news, you're going to have a massive edge. I it was two weeks ago or something, three weeks, maybe there was a coastal Carolina game and like two minutes before kickoff, their starting tight end. Who's their number two pass catcher wasn't playing. And then he was like 56% owned in the big tournament. Yeah. You just don't see that anymore. That used to happen in the NBA and whatnot. That's gone in DFS. It still exists in the college slates. I'm glad you brought that up because what we need to do right now is give our just over 30 seconds feel. How good is Coastal Carolina? Fantastic. 51 nothing last week as a three-point favorite. Oh, yeah. I'm on Coastal again this week. They're 17 and a half point favorites. Love yeah, South Alabama is no good, so... Um, we're, Coastal Carolina is the team of this show. Besides Campbell, who is the greatest team, Coastal Carolina is just fantastic. Let's keep it going. A couple more games. We'll take some questions, chat. Uh, we want to make sure we get to everything for you guys. That's why we're here. We're going to stick in the Big Ten, though. We've got teams we kind of just talked about, opponents, Maryland, and now we Penn State, who should be angry. 27-point spread, that's a big number, but Penn State is at home looking to get right. 64.5-point total. I want to start with Maryland, and it's just a pretty simple question. Who are they? Or is it a product of Minnesota just being awful? Uh, Tua's brother looked obviously infinitely better. They lost, just for context, they lost 43-3 to against Northwestern to open the season, and then they win 45-44. So their defense has been bad in both, but their offense has been drastically different. Uh, where do they truly fall? I think they're probably somewhere in between, which is maybe a cop-out answer here, but I like their offensive coaching staff. I like what they're doing as a program. They've just been really inefficient and it makes sense. They were completely building from the ground up when Mike Loxley came there. So it basically, I think as they get these recruits in, they have a number of high profile recruits this year. I think they'll slowly get better and slowly get more efficient. I don't know what Tagovailoa is at this point. He had a 94-yard passing debut, and then he rebounds for 394 yards. He does have athleticism. He, you saw the pair of rushing scores he had on the ground. I do think Penn State's defense is a cut above, you know, like 
Minnesota. I would so, hope. So I'm not looking to rush out and roster Tagovailoa this week. Do you feel the same way about Funk? I mean, obviously he went insane last week, but again, this is not Minnesota. This is Penn State. I question the talent with Funk. Anytime we have redshirt seniors on the field, I'm just like, if you were better, you wouldn't be playing against 18-year-olds. Oof. Harsh, but accurate. Um, I mean, I'll just kind of run through it. Then on the outside, like, is it the same thing that they are just going from such a good matchup to, I'm not going to say it's such a bad matchup, but clearly Penn State is much better defensively than Minnesota. I think it's sneaky because Maryland is a little more efficient on offense. I like their offense as far as just like plays per game and pass rate. And how in the world did they get a five-star in Rakeem Jarrett? I don't, I don't have these answers for you. I wish I did. He looked pretty, I mean, again, I've only seen him. I didn't watch the Northwestern game. I watched the Minnesota game. Six for 68. I mean, not bad. Where, where do you think he falls? And is his price going to continue to kind of rise as the season goes? It should rise. They're going to play him more and more. If we look at his route rate, it was 44% in week one, 51% in week two. He's their five-star crown jewel, like the the best, highest profile recruit they have on their team. They're going to play him to varying degrees, and it's going to be, I think, larger and larger throughout the year. He's 3,800. You're going to see him, I think, with an increased role as the season goes along. Does that make him a strong target against Penn State? Probably not. But I do think eventually he will work his way as the number one or two. Dante Demas is a strong target. He's the team's target leader, and he leads the team in receiving yards. I think he's probably the preferred stacking option if you go this route, but Jarrett's interesting. Yeah, I he should be playing for LSU, but it's neither here nor there. Um, I, again, it's not. A, I, I'm not going to chase what, what we saw with Tonga Vailoa last week. I think that certainly was more of a ceiling than even anything – that we can expect. I, I wouldn't fault anyone if you want to go to one of the pass catchers, not going to go to the backfield. <sighs> On the other side, bad start to the season for the Nittany Lions. Tough loss against Indiana. Ohio State is just better than them. And they didn't have, you know, they they have the best. I'm not a Penn State guy. I'm far from it. I think they may have the best home field in the country, though. It's really difficult to play there at night. They didn't have that last week. So it's different. Clifford. Eh, Ford, Dotson. I think for me, maybe the running back situations where I feel best, but what do you make of a team with a 45 and a half team total? Yeah, I think we have to to look here and they have that, the Michigan, excuse me, the Minnesota OC from last year, Kirk Scirocco, who's did everything with Tanner Morgan, Bateman, Tyler Johnson. It's going to be an exciting offense. They're a team that I don't think should be 0-2. Their offense is pretty explosive compared to like what we've seen out of them this year. Clifford's appropriately priced last year. We could get this guy like below seven K and he's a strong dual threat. Like he's a threat for the hundred yard bonus on the ground. He's also a decent passer. He's 8,900. You do have to pay for him here. The team totals high enough where I think he's in play. Not my favorite in this range. We just have like Corin Taylor and so many values that I think you don't need to get up to Clifford. The stacking options are interesting. Jahan Dotson is the most expensive receiver on the slate. I don't think that's warranted. He has one more target than Pat Fryermuth, who's nearly half his price. And Fryermuth is one of the best tight ends in the country. Big-bodied red zone weapon. He's going to be used heavily. What do you do with Ford? Um, do you look to the back? Obviously, again, I don't know. This this Maryland-Minnesota game throws things a lot out of whack because, it, you know, Ibrahim, the reason he's $10,000 is because what he did last week. So, do you think it was more him or was it more that Maryland's front is this bad? 
I think it's a combination of both. Maryland's defense is not good for sure. Ibrahim sees the ball like he had 41 carries. That's it's like sometimes you see defenses play against triple option teams and you're like, wow, they're really good against the pass. They've allowed 50 yards passing, but 270 yards rushing. It's like, well, yeah, they played the triple option, which Michigan, or excuse me, Minnesota is basically a fancy triple option team at this point. All Ooh, they do is that's run harsh. so much. <laughs> that is harsh. Minnesota's fancy triple option. But either way, Devin Ford, I think, is one of the best price adjusted plays on the slate. He's dominating backfield work here. He was the only running back to receive a touch last week. And now he gets this matchup. Uh, yeah, I like, like I said, I, I'm not going to fault anyone with Clifford. I just, I feel much more comfortable paying, you know, 5,900 for Ford to catch the ball a little. Great game script, should find the end zone. To wrap this up, if you had to, again, I like to put it in context. You've got Clifford, you could also huge spread with Rattler. Would you rather pay up for, for Penn State quarterback or, or go to Oklahoma? Probably Clifford because he rushes. Okay. And it's a little more, not that, I mean, both teams have a massive team total, but I think this one is certainly more live for Maryland to push them. I think Maryland's offense could be okay. Kansas is not going to do anything. They're just bad. So you can kind of throw that out. Whereas Maryland could push Penn state a little bit and force Clifford into some deeper waters. All right. We've got two games left here. This one is really, really interesting on a lot of levels, uh, particularly for me on the betting side, but we're going to talk about it with both. We've got Houston. We've got Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a 12 and a half point favorite over under a 52. We'll start with Houston. Um, Listen, they, they've got some stuff going on. Tune, I've been impressed with at times. BYU is really good. So I, I don't factor net loss. Step one, Stevenson, doubtful still, hasn't been ruled out, but is that where we're at? Yeah, I don't think he's going to play. I saw he was unlikely. So without him, obviously, it's a big loss for this passing attack, but some other guys should be tasked with volume. What does that do to Tune and then what do you think about guys like Corbin, like Dell? Uh, how does the, how, they could be trailing, should be trailing. Can they throw against the Cincinnati defense? Probably not effectively, but they're going to try and they're going to throw a lot. Tune is averaging 36 attempts per game. 300 yards passing per game is fantastic. He likely doesn't reach that here. Just it's the toughest team he's faced all year. I know BYU is a very strong team as well, but Cincinnati is just the stone nuts on defense. Tune is also playing not only without Stevenson, but Trayvon Bradley's out too, who's their number three receiver. So we're looking at Corbin, who's their slot, probably going to see an elevated target share at 5,500. The number two receiver at this point sets up to be Juco transfer Nathaniel Dell. With Stevenson getting hurt in last week's game, Dell popped up for a 10-target game himself. And in that game, we also saw Trayvon Bradley with 10 targets. He's gone too. That means we're likely going to have to go deep into the recesses for a pass catcher on Houston and Bryson Smith is probably the guy who steps up min price four targets last week, ran a majority of the routes among the ancillary pass catchers. And it's not like he's a nobody. He's caught some passes for Houston in the past. He has actually been on the field at times. So I think Bryson Smith is a pretty decent play at the stone min. And I keep, I'm going to batter you with this question week, uh, game after game, where does he fall amongst these Johnny Wilson and some of the other flat min receivers? I think Bryson Smith might be the best one because Houston is going to throw so much. Good game script should be forced into action. I think I tend to agree. The one thing, and this is kind of, we, we can, do you have anything to say on the, on the uh, backfield before we move to Cincinnati? 
when Mulba car is active, it's like a 50-50 timeshare. Not something I think we want to target where they're near two touchdown underdogs. So my first question to you is, is Cincinnati as good as they seem? Because they seem like they are really good. I think they're pretty good, but they haven't played anybody. Like as soon as they play some power five teams, we'll see. But they, they, that's not going to happen unless they get into like, I don't know, the playoff. Yeah, I I mean, what I guess what I want to ask you, SMU and Memphis are some of the better teams in the American. It's, it's teams that have given some power five teams trouble. They, they absolutely demolished both of them. 42-13, 49-10 against Memphis. Uh, Ritter, we always talk about, oh, he's just a game manager. Well, he didn't look like a game manager the last couple of weeks. He, he had a buck 79 and, and three touchdowns on the ground against SMU. Obviously, that's an outlier. But what is Cincinnati right now? Like, are they a team we can look to? Uh, I, I'm starting to lean yes, and he's 8,700. Yeah, Ritter is starting to get to the Zach Wilson range for me where he's not, like, his volume's terrible. But his efficiency, efficiency, his efficiency is so good. And I just want to point out, like Ritter on the ground, he's had five touchdowns in the last two weeks. All of last year, he had five rushing touchdowns. Like that is certainly an anomaly. And then you mentioned the 179 outing. This is rushing yards against SMU. That's more than two-thirds of his total season output. Another outlier. So I think Ritter, the expensive price at 8700 is unwarranted. I would rather get Clifford. I would rather get Rattler. I would rather pay down for Verslovis. I would. There's a lot of things I would rather do other than playing Ritter. So does that mean if, if you don't want to go to Ritter, because uh, I'll be honest, I like Cincinnati in the game. I, I think that they just continue to roll through these teams. I think they're a cut above. Is it Dokes on the ground, 6,700? Uh, obviously, when Ritter's doing that, there's not a lot of room for him. But if he regresses, do you think Dokes regressing the other way? I think it could happen. Dokes has been incredibly inefficient, the exact opposite of Ritter. He has at least 19 opportunities in three straight games. But again, 65 and a half rushing yards per game is pretty bad. I honestly think there's a chance that Jerome Ford starts to play a larger role throughout the year if Dokes continues to play poorly. On the outside, we, we talked about the injury situation for Houston, but since he's got one of their own with Alec Pierce, uh, again, I haven't seen anything. Certainly he exited against Memphis. Where is he at, if you know? And then if he sits, what do we do with Michael Young? Their coach specifically declined to give an update. So. Oh, thanks a lot, Luke. I know. That's it's great. We love that, don't we? Mm-hmm. The he's best. the number one when healthy. I don't think there's a strong chance he's healthy based on that. Michael Young becomes the wide receiver one when Alec Pierce is out. He has a 20% target share that's led to just 20 total targets this year. I mean, that speaks to how little Cincinnati's actually throwing, which is just another thorn in the cap of Ritter. Yeah, no, listen, Ritter, I think if he gets there, you almost want to run him solo because his only out is to get there on crazy rushing volume and and luck box TDs. Uh, I think Cincinnati's defense, though, causes... If Stevenson sits, as I expect him to do, I think they put a stranglehold on Houston and they kind of do what they've been doing. They win going away. I I did lay the points here. Last game, got a couple minutes left, chat. Then we're going to turn it over. Don't go anywhere, though. Uh, NFL final look show coming up next. We got some big things here again. Shows on shows on shows. MMA Live Before Lock will be later in the day. Two, Breeders' Cup for me. I'm going to be gambling like an absolute fiend today. I cannot wait. Uh, But we got one last game. Oklahoma State, Kansas State. It's not a good one. 47-point total. Uh, Oklahoma State on the road, 13-point favorite. I I hate talking about Kansas State. Let's let's go to OK State first. Sanders, Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, 
we know what they have. They have superstars at those positions. They're all in the sevens. Do we pay for them? Simple as that. Sanders. Okay. So we talked about Sanders last week and I ripped him pretty bad. And then he passed for 400 yards, but Texas though, those fools. Sanders had never passed for now. We're not talking 400 yards. He'd never passed for 300 <laughs> yards in his career. And then he goes off for 400 against Texas. So yeah, that's nuts. I don't think Sanders is a strong play. He's a, a game manager as a passer. He does give you some rushing upside. He's probably not a threat for the, th- the 100 yard bonus on the ground, but Kansas state is terrible. I think the main reason we wouldn't play Sanders because while Kansas state is terrible, they're playing so slow and so run heavy that they just drain the clock and limit the play volume for their opponents. Totally agree. Uh, feel the same way about Chuba. I don't mind Chuba. His price continues to drop despite his volume remaining constant. He's had at least 21 touches in four straight games, at least 26 in each of the past two. That's 25.6 per game, averaging over hundred yards rushing, which is, you know, he's in the same territory as like Letty Brown. Unfortunately, he just doesn't have as much pass game involvement. I don't think it's going to matter today against Kansas State, but Chuba's volume is phenomenal. I was really impressed. Yeah, I mean, last week was just, I was super impressed with Tylan Wallace. I thought he was as key as they come in that game, made some absolutely fantastic catches. I I think if I had to pick someone from Oklahoma State to target, it would be him. Um, I I don't mind paying almost 8,000. Again, I I think it's a luxury if you have the money, not saying to go jam him, but of the three, I think I feel best with Wallace this week. On the other side, I have absolute, I literally have nothing to say. They have a 17-point team total. It's going to be a bad game script for the run. Is there anything on Kansas State? That whole state, them and Kansas, if you can bind, I still wouldn't really play anyone. Uh, what do you make of them to close it out? Yeah, you're not playing anyone in Kansas State. Just, just yeah, Deuce Vaughn. Uh, close, but no. Um, chat, we appreciate you guys. Romanov. MMA picks coming up. Man, we got... We got this chat knows what's going on. I hope all of you find ways to get behind the paywall at Awesome. We want you to become part of the community. Matt can speak to our Slack chats. Uh, they're a good time. We got a lot of people in there talking about all sorts of things from betting to you know college football, NFL, NBA, MMA, whatever. Uh, we got a lot of games today. Like I said, keep an eye on the news. We are going to bounce on out of here. Hit that like button on your way out. Thanks again, everyone. Good luck on the betting side of things. Good luck on the DFS side of things. Me and Matt will be back next week. Same time, same place.